Welcome to Modern Sign Books. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their lives and writing with art book specialist Roger Nichols. And don't forget to pick up a copy of your favorite books at bjbooks.com. Here's Roger. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Two years ago, in his debut novel, The Drifter, our guest today, Nick Petrie, introduced a, f- a fascinating and compelling character, Peter Ash. Former Marine who came back from service in Afghanistan and Iraq with an unusual form of PTSD, a claustrophobic reaction to being inside anywhere that he calls white static. Ash has a strong sense of loyalty to his friends that leads him to help where he can. Unfortunately, those friends' problems often require violent remedies, which Ash can deliver. I was not the only one to be absolutely taken with a character, no less than Lee Child says, lots of characters get compared to my own Jack Reacher, but Peter Ash is the real deal. That he is. I'm delighted to report that he's now appearing in his third book titled Light It Up. Nick Petrie, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Roger. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you, it. You bet. You said you grew up uh, reading Emmore Leonard and Robert Parker and loved the books that kept you up late at night because you had to know what happened next. And that certainly is the case. And I speak from personal experience here with Light It Up. That's great, That's great to hear. I'm, yeah, that is my goal is to, is to uh, like when I was a kid, is to you know make uh, readers read under the covers with a flashlight. Uh, until the wee hours of the morning. Well, I didn't quite get to the wee hours, but it was pretty late last night, and it was like a six-hour session, and I went right through it. It was like, <gasps> no. Okay, so I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, they say the second book is harder than the first because you have your whole lifetime to do the first, and you have to turn out the second right away to keep up the momentum. Uh, is it? How about the third? Is it uh, get easier as you go? Actually, I found the second one, or the third one harder than the second. Hmm. Um, the second, I was just sort of running on adrenaline because I couldn't believe someone had agreed to publish the first one. <laughs> um, and, and for the third one, um, suddenly I had, um, I was doing publicity for the first one and I had l- still less time. Hmm. Um, so it, it was, it was a real challenge. And, um, this book was originally set someplace else about something else. And I, I found myself sort of recycling the same 10,000 words uh, over and over. And, and it really took my wife to sort of say, uh, this isn't working. You should try something else. Uh, and then I had this conversation in an airport that led to you know, this topic and this book. Thanks, Margaret, for, for all of us for having made that suggestion to you. <laughs> we do appreciate that. Now, the title is, as the Brits say, spot on, because this book centers around events involved with illegal marijuana production in Colorado, which requires vast quantities of cash and valuable product, which are both temptations to crime. But the title also has military implications. I've heard it used in terms of you know, turning on radar or uh, hitting an area with artillery, and also as a sports metaphor for brilliant performances. In fact, it's even the title of a country song by Luke Bryan, and we, one of our stations is a country station, so I'm familiar with that. So, uh, it, Nice job on the title. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I never really know what the title's going to be. Um, uh, Burning Bright, actually, I actually had that title early on, but uh, Light It Up, I had, I don't know, six or seven titles, and I just couldn't quite figure it out, and then finally, uh, that one just sort of popped out. So, mm-hmm. it's a titling is 
for for some writers they start with a title. Some for me it's kind of at the end. Yeah, well, stories that you know, but a title can really set it off to us as far as we're concerned. So we, we appreciate that. Now in the story, Ash had been asked to help out a friend who's helping out a daughter he didn't know he had until she was grown with a business involving providing security for transporting marijuana from producers to retailers and quantities of cash to back to the producers or to a secure location. And uh, at one point. They're transporting, he's helping transport cash. They're hijacked violently, which leads to, and I have to say this, I'm going to be more effusive on this one, but a 14-page scene in which Ash and his friend must flee the attackers in a most unlikely vehicle down a steep snowy road. And this is simply one of the most gripping I have read in all of my history. It's worth the price of the book itself, and there are plenty more to follow. So you got me there big time. Well, you're, you're very kind. That, I, I'm actually really proud of that, of that scene. There's actually another chase scene in this book that I really like. Yes. Um, yes. and, and the end culminates in this, um, and I, I really don't know where this last one came from. Basically a, a fight between a guy with a, uh, a tomahawk and a guy with a framing hammer. Yeah. Um, so, so I, you know what? I'm, I'm really a nice person in person, but, but I, I write about, uh, uh, there's a certain amount of violence in everything I write, um, right? The crime writers in general, I have found, are very nice people, but, but even if they're doing terrible things on the page. Well, yes. And, and I, you mentioned the Framingham. You were a carpenter before you became a building inspector, I understand. Uh, I was, I was. I swung a hammer for 10 years, or actually a little bit longer than that. Um, I, uh, mostly in Seattle, but also here in Milwaukee a little bit. Yeah. And, and, uh, framing hammers a little bit larger and, and heavier than your standard issue of claw hammer out there, too. Well, and the, the back, the, the claw is a straight claw. Yeah. Um, so most people think of a claw hammer as having that kind of hook on the end, but framing hammers have a, a, a straight claw. So you actually have two weapon surfaces. Um, one that's a, you know, blunt and one that uh, has two, uh, you know, points on it. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting choice and, and, uh, you have a lot of fun. In fact, you have some, um, at one point, uh, it, you show a real uh, knowledge of uh, antique weaponry, uh, because at one point they're armed with classic old uh, Navy Colts and uh, Winchester 94. Well, that's sort of a funny... That I didn't really plan that. It, it just sort of it just sort of came up. So, so this book is also, in a way, kind of a Western, mm-hmm. um, which I hadn't really planned, but I just it sort of fell into. And the the antique weapons were part of that, and it's again, this is this is why writers do research is to make people think we actually know stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, the the internet is great for that, uh, and uh, going to a gun range to sort of see what some of these weapons feel like is also a, a really great way to do that too. Fantastic, yeah. I, there's a theme that runs through this, and I, I noticed because you you stuck a few lines from Robert Frost, "The Road Not Taken," in the beginning, but it picks up again later, and it's the one with the line for "I have promises to keep them miles before to go before I sleep." So that's that's a nice additional literary bit to this. Well, I I am um, well, I'm a big fan of Robert Frost, um, and uh, I I read a little bit of poetry, not not as much as I used to. But I think, you know, the, the beauty of, of poetry is it's, it, you've got to express an emotion in a very compressed way. Um, so it, it's, it's nice to have a little something, uh, you know, a song lyric. I mean, this is, that's poetry as well, right? Absolutely. Um, to, to have something at the beginning of a book to sort of, uh, get the wheels started in readers' heads. Um, and, 
you know, the other funny thing is that there's this, uh, there's a Charles Bronson movie called Telephone where that yes. film also takes place. So again, and I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of playing with all kinds of things and it's just sort of the way my weird brain works. Yeah. That, that movie, as I recall, is a, a, a deep implanted agent who's triggered by that, uh, the lines of the That's poem. right. That's right. Wow. I, I haven't thought about that for a long time. It used to be one of my favorite movies. So uh, we're pretty simpatico. I have the feeling here somehow. Um, <laughs> so many things going on. And, and you, at one point, and this may just be a general Western kind of phrase, but at one point, uh, one of the characters says, hurry, we're burning daylight. Now, I know that from a John Wayne film, uh, where he says, uh, slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. I, I don't know if that's conscious or not, or just general background. Um, oh, oh boy. I, I love that as a John Wayne phrase. Um, no, actually for me, that's a carpenter's phrase because, oh, okay. um, when you're framing houses, it's kind of hard to do in the dark. So, um, you know, we always used to start really early in the morning and, and, uh, depending on the production schedule, sometimes we would go and we'd be cleaning up our tools in the dark, depending on the time of day, the time mm-hmm. of year. And, um, so for me, that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah. Well, it seemed, it seemed to be that reinforced the, the Western motif of it. Um, I fascinating. Like it. Yeah. And now, and we have to say there are a lot of references to Oregon in, in this book, uh, because that's where Jane is. And uh, at one point, I have to, I have to love this. You have, Ash taking off on a run. He's wearing a Deschutes Brewery t-shirt, so good for you. Well, I've actually spent a fair amount of time in Oregon. I, I had a friend who was a windsurfing bum in Hood River. Oh um, so we'd go visit him and, and uh, goof off. Uh, my wife and I have been up and down the Oregon coast a few times. I've got friends in Portland. Um, so uh, I have, I have a, a giant affection uh, for, for Oregon as well. Wow, I appreciate that. If you are ever in Hood River, let us know because we're in the Dalles, just seventeen miles away. I'd be mean, love to meet up with you and buy you a, a Deschutes Brewery beer or something. Oh, I would love it. It's it's one of my favorites. All right. Um, there's so many wonderful quotes in here because I take notes as I go through this thing, and uh, one of one of them is you you get viewpoints from all the different characters because you you get us inside the guy mind of some of the bad guys who have their own problems and, and become more complex as a result of that. I'm thinking of Dixon in in particular here. Well, somebody said, and this is sort of a, an old, an old truism among writers is that, uh, even the villains are the heroes of their own mind. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm not really interested in, in sort of the, the black and white world. I'm really interested in the many, many areas of gray. I think that makes a more interesting story. I think you can, you can tell, um, you know, more complex characters are, are more interesting. And I think that's in part why this series has gained so, so much traction so quickly because people really identify with, um, both the good guys. I mean, these, these, you know, they're very vivid and, and struggling for, uh, you know, to solve a problem and to help their friends. But also, you know, the bad guys are, you know, a, a good villain, a good compelling villain really makes a more interesting story. Um, and, and also it, as a writer, it's, it's, it's fun to change those points of view and, and stretch different muscles and try different things. So um, I'm I'm glad you noticed that. That's something I work very hard on. Well, it's and I I love finding little capsule um, insights into people. I'm going to read you a couple of them because I I just had to share them with folks. One you talk about Dixon says from his father to the church, the Marine Corps. There had always been a structure to his life that Dixon found reassuring. That's a that's a capsule kind of summary. Um, and then Lewis, he says he could run to the library and be free in his own mind, which was the only thing that mattered. And that's, that's to me, 
really, really outstanding insight in one line. Well, thank you so much. I, it's, uh, it's funny to, when people pull lines out like this, it's, it's, A, it's extremely flattering because, um, that, that something struck you mm-hmm. in that way. But, um, some of these get, get written and rewritten and re-rewritten, but the, the two that you've, that you've mentioned are just sort of popped out. Um, and I, I'm not terribly <laughs> insightful about my own life. So it's, it, maybe it's easier then to be insightful about other people's lives. Yeah. I also have to, have to cite this because it, it struck me again. The, the, the Malcolm X quote, uh, the most dangerous man on the planet is a black man with a library card. And I had not heard that in years. And I thought, wow, some, somebody's out there doing their homework big time. Well, I, you know, that, that book was a, was a big influence on me, the autobiography of Malcolm X. And, and, and Lewis, Lewis is black and Peter is white. And, and it's, it's not, it's not a topic between them, but it's just there. And, and I found this with, um, people that have been in the military. So, so Lewis, Lewis sort of got dragooned into the army and he did, he did, uh, his four years and got out as quickly as he could to go back to his life of crime. Um, whereas for Peter, it was really a mission. Um, but so they do share this military background. And, and, and what I have found is that for men and women who've served together, especially in combat, you know, colors are relevant. It's do you have your, your buddies back, you know, or can you do the job? Um, so I, and you know, we live in a world that is multiracial. So I, I wanted to, to depict, um, you know, sort of the full spectrum. Um, I live in a, a Milwaukee is, is a very diverse city. Um, so, you know, part of that is just, um, you know, it, something fun to, to pull into this. But in this book, you actually get quite a bit more about Lewis's background. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a, a, a Lewis quote I've used before. Um, and I have friends who, who uh, you know, have used that quote. So it's, it's not, for me, it's not a... Um, you know, it's not something that I had to pull out of the archives. It's something uh, that's kind of in my head on a regular basis. Uh, well, I appreciate that because uh, that means you're engaged in the community and, and uh, what's going on. Uh, one of the, well, I have to, I have to, I'm bouncing around all over the place because there's so much richness in this book. But one is the increasing uh, development of his relationship with Jane. Uh, oh, yeah, she's, she's the love interest um, in, in this book uh, and in the previous book as well. And she's, She's, she's a lot of fun to write. She's this very strong woman and she's not scared off by Peter's, you know, warrior side and, and all the, the challenges that come with that. Um, and I've been lucky to have a lot of strong women as role models and, and I needed a woman who was going to be a, a real match for Peter, who's a, a very strong character in himself. Um, and in this book, um, you know, June comes to Colorado to help Peter, but things go, you know, very badly, very quickly. Um, but, but in the end, you know, I, I was trying to write a little bit about how we all save each other kind of all the time. Um, and I think that's what a, what a good relationship is about is, is, uh, you know, sort of how, the ways in which we, we dive in to rescue each other on a regular basis. Yeah. And at, at part of the, the book is it deals with uh, their strange, changed communication where he's, where he's out in, in the woods before he takes on this other thing for 10 days at a time. And he writes a long letter to her and mails it off when, when he gets back to town for four days and then picks up her letter from before. So this is this communication with gaps in between, which is much more like what would have happened in a Western, actually. Well, I think that's actually how this Western idea started. 
um, is this line popped out um, that, that June writes in a letter that it was like sending letters uh, in, on the Pony Express. Right, right. Um, and I think that's sort of what got me started on that. This is a little bit like uh, a Western. Um, but I, you know, my, my wife and I used to, I mean, we lived, um, w- when we were dating, we lived a mile apart and we used to, we used to write each other letters. Um, and, and I think it's, it's sometimes easier to say something in a letter, um, especially a long letter that you write over a series of days, mm-hmm. uh, than it, than it is in person. And I'm also a, a, a real fan of, of, um, of putting down the, you know, putting down the Facebook, putting, stop texting and have an actual conversation oh, yeah. um, and there's something about a letter that that is very intimate in a way like, like radio is so intimate it's it's this voice in your ear um you know when you when you read you you are um you know your your mind fills in all of the gaps and i mean to me that's why that's why i'm a i'm a big reader is because your brain does all of this work and helps tell the story so the you know the writer only does part of the job the reader you know, does another part of the job. So, um, there are, there are a lot of reasons why that sort of came up, but it was, it was so much fun to write. Oh, I, I can see that. And, and again, radio, the classic radio theater of the mind is where, again, your, your imagination right. fills in as right. well. So I have to, I, as we're rolling down toward the end of this thing, I have to ask you, if you give us a little peek behind the curtain, what are you working on now? Well, the, the, um, so line it up is the third book, and that's the one that comes out on Tuesday. Right. Um, my fourth book takes place in Memphis, and I'm p- kind of polishing up the edits for that right now. Sweet. And I'm thinking about the next one, which uh, is going to be in Iceland. Oh. Um, so, uh, which uh, I I went uh, on a trip with my son just to sort of poke around and really kind of fell in love and thought, oh my gosh, Peter Ash needs to come here, uh-huh. um, because there are just these wonderful stories to be told. Right. Uh, but so his next, the next book takes place in Memphis and, and, um, that, uh, you know, if you like chase scenes and, and, uh, that kind of stuff, there's uh, a couple of really good ones in there too. Okay. Well, we will certainly be looking forward to that. And I certainly hope we can have you back again when that uh, next one comes out about Memphis. Oh, I, I love it. You and I always have such great conversations. So, uh, I, anytime, let me know. I'm happy to, happy to have a conversation. This is always great. Sounds great. Our guest this morning has been Nick Petrie. The latest book is Lighted Up comes out on Tuesday. And if that sounds really interesting to you, you could get an autographed copy through VJ Books. Do go check it out. You'll be very glad you did. Thanks so much for spending so much time with us today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Modern Sign Books. Make sure to follow and comment on who you would like to hear next. Feel free to check out our other author interviews. And visit vjbooks.com to pick up signed copies of all of your favorite books.